TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Well, we were in an excellent position going to the sixth inning. And I think the best way to explain the sixth inning, I mean, I did a really lousy job of managing that inning. And uh, it was, it really hurt our chances to win. How about that? Cubs, excuse me, White Sox manager. Tony Larusa and the White Sox lose to Seattle today, eight to four. The sixth inning was everything today, and it's Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio six seventy. The score in that Mariners sixth inning, the White Sox up four to one, and Matt Foster relieved Dallas Keuchel with a couple men on, allows a hit to load the bases couple RBI singles, a sack fly to tie the game up, and then ultimately the big hit, one of the only like familiar names on Seattle. Who are these guys? Um, a three-run double and that, that the proverbial breaking open of the game, and you're just like throwing your arms up and like, oh my God, Matt Foster, what is, what are you doing, Foster? But the, the thing that was going on during this, and it was pointed out, good job of Jason Benetti and Steve Stone to point this out during the telecast, Tony La Russa had nobody warming up in the bullpen when Foster was struggling, and he was struggling from the get-go. I mean, when a reliever comes in, and right away he's given up hits, and big ones and walking guys, you have to get somebody up, and La Russa had that... The, the old, you're on your own, which I get sometimes in baseball. But at this point, this was still a very winnable game against a team that you gotta, you got to smother and just step on and put out and get the hell out of town and then get your home opener and get, get some things straightened out. And instead, they end up losing it. And they're, they're, you know until Tony La Russa got completely desperate and probably had to hurry up a guy in the bullpen once, once uh, Foster gives up the big hit and then gives up another RBI hit, and then that was it for him. Then he, he had to come out. But that's a mistake by Larusa, and he's not disagreeing. Take a listen to this with, with Tony Larusa talking about a lousy, stupid idea to push Foster in the sixth. What have you seen from uh, Matt Foster so far this year? You know, he's throwing harder, I think, even than last year, but it looked like he was looking to finish up uh, a couple of guys upstairs of the eater and just couldn't get it, that final uh, finishing pitch. Well, that's you know, that's probably the clearest example why I'm upset with myself. I mean, he faced too many hitters. That's lousy managing. So Matt's a gamer. We saw what he did that one day and pushed him too far. Just stupid. Lousy. No excuse. I mean, we were really set up 
to pitch the last four innings of the game. We had all those innings covered. Just, to, you know, I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And we paid the price by all those extra runs. So, I mean, I don't enjoy saying it, but I enjoy less trying to uh, not take responsibility. I mean, that that is good to hear. You don't all, sometimes you hear managers or coaches in sports say, yeah, blame me. I'm the one that put, you know, that, that sort of disingenuous, it's on me, you know, but, but in this case, that's very specific by Tony La Russa. So while Sox fans should have been enraged watching that inning and the fact that there was nobody warming up and it was Matt Foster who, you know, has struggled this year, gave up the big three-run jack to Jared Walsh in the Sunday night game against Anaheim and then just had nothing in this game. You got to have somebody up, but at least Tony is being very specific about the fact that it was it was lousy managing, and that's that's what it was in this case. You know what, now, too, Mark, real quick, yeah, is you know, sure. you're talking about warming up, you know, getting guys up when when pitchers in the inning are struggling and this is the second time at least to my recollection that it's happened already because on Sunday when they blew it against the Angels in the ninth I guess not blew it but they came back to tie and then gave up a three-run homer in the ninth to lose it in that inning Jose Ruiz started gave up the leadoff base runner and Larusa had to scramble Matt Foster up in the pen because <laughs> I, it, there was a, a specific exchange and it was clear managerial. This is this is Tony Larusa doing his thing. He went out to the mound. You know, he had Grandall chat with Ruiz, and this is you know bottom of the ninth, first hitter, base hit. Ruiz chat with your battery mate. Okay, the whole infield got together. Umpire said, "Okay, break it up." Then Tony Larusa comes out of the ball, the the dugout, starts waltzing his way to the the mound, taking his sweet time. That's when Matt Foster got up. Is when Grandall started talking to Ruiz because he wasn't up to start that inning. You know, this isn't this isn't the first time that this has happened where Larusa has been kind of you know asleep behind the wheel and getting guys ready out of the pen. I mean, it's concerning because it's cost a couple games now. Yeah, and and how about this one? This is this was not as egregious or even egregious. Period. I don't think. But Aaron Bummer's first game this year, we can't. I didn't remember which game it was, but it was obviously one of the Angels games. He he brings in Aaron Bummer, and he was struggling and it was kind of like he was on an island like he i kept waiting for tony la Russa to and i don't know if he had somebody up but i kept waiting for him to make a switch at some point in time with aaron bummer out there i was like why is he leaving him out there so long um you know there was the second game of the year where la Russa did something i liked actually that with the the socks were up a run he he had Evan Marshall walk Albert Pujols to to put him on, bring in Liam Hendricks, who eventually got Iglesias to to fly out. But it was a risky move putting two men on at the time. It worked out in that case, but it was certainly risky. And one thing that that you might say is that all right, it's early. And Tony Larusa is just getting to know these guys in the bullpen. He is finding out where the best spart- spots are. There's going to be some fail because maybe because of the, the lack of familiarity, maybe is maybe that's what's going on with Tony LaRussa and Matt Foster. Let's listen to Tony LaRussa on that possibility. Because we had spring training. You know, we had a complete spring training and 
No, there was, I mean, I just messed up, man. There wasn't anything I messed up like that before. So there, therefore, there are no excuses. So it's not, it, nothing to do with not being familiar and all that. I, I just messed up. All right, good for Tony LaRusso. He, I mean, these are the right answers, and these are genuine answers. You know what I mean? And he doesn't sound mad. He he says he, he messed up. He's not buying it. I can't even give him an excuse right now. So he, he don't want to hear about that. He had spring training to to figure all of that out. And I guess Mike Rankin, um, as a guy who follows the, the White Sox professionally, and I know you're a Sox fan, I guess that's what you want to hear from Tony LaRusso, right? It's good that you know he came out and, and took responsibility because it was so clearly his fault for leaving Matt Foster in that sixth. He left them to, to dry out there, man. Yeah. I mean that was brutal. That was brutal. You had a long <laughs> at bat there when, when I you know I forget the exact hitter at the plate. Was it was it high France? High France. Yes. Well, it was a ten pitch at bat. He was already nearing thirty pitches. You you leave him in against Kyle Seager with the bases loaded. You could tell he's laboring up there, and you leave him in, and then he. You know, he gives up the three RBI double, and and that's when really, oh, man, the life is getting sucked out of you. He left him in for another hitter. What, are, what are we doing? You know, I yeah. mean, that that can't continue right there. I mean, you're leaving this kid. I mean, still, very impressive. He struck out Trout a couple of times, came into big spots. Matt Foster is one of those bullpen guys that you can count on, but if you're putting him in spots to fail and you're not giving him any any help, I mean... This is the result here. I mean, that was a prime example. Like, this can never happen again this season. You can't leave a kid out to dry like that. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm sure Tony La Russa will be a little bit more cognizant of that. I don't know if he has to necessarily do anything with Matt. I mean, obviously, you, you want to probably give him at least tomorrow off and just let him relax because he's now given you know you're right he's had some nice strikeouts talked about Mike Trout but he's given up a couple of whoppers of hits this year the Jared Walsh walk off and then that that gapper um by Kyle Seeger so he needs to just kind of sit down take a couple of deep breaths and I brought this I think it was yeah it was with Ryan McGuffey I brought this up and and Matt Foster Goes back, and I don't know if this is still in his head. Who knows? It does happen, but it was Matt Foster who gave up a couple of bases loaded walks in game three of that playoff series against the Oakland A's. So I I don't want to think that there's something that, that stuck with him about that, and he's still trying to regain some confidence, but it's it's been a rough go dating back to that, and then in a couple games this year, for Matt Foster. Well, I so think, hope- too, Mark, yeah, I mean, it's important to note that. This is a young player. I mean, he made his major yeah. league debut last year, and they're using him in high-leverage situations. Same with Cody Hoyer, same with Aaron Bummer, who's had a little bit more major league experience. But when you're talking about Tony LaRusso, the manager, you know, what aspect of a manager has the biggest impact on a baseball game? It's managing the pitching staff. And right now, LaRusso, you know, he can say that he's 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 familiar in the timing and all that stuff. He hasn't had nothing, but he doesn't know this roster yet in terms of the bullpen. Right. He it's just flat out obvious by the way he's managing his arms because I think he's putting guys in certain situations that you're like, hmm, interesting. Like Evan Marshall. Kind of, you know, he gave up a couple of runs and and ended up taking the loss the other night. And you question where is Liam Hendricks in these high leverage situations? He has his reasons. I'm not a guy who says you have to save your closer to the ninth, but I'm also defending him and saying there is enough in that pen to get you to the ninth inning, and you have confidence in those guys to get outs. It's just he's been making the wrong calls right now. 
Yeah, and you know, Evan Marshall, you're right, gave up. He gave up the bomb to uh, Upton in the in the Anaheim or out in L.A. against the the Anaheim Angels as well. So it it is ironic that the bullpen is what has struggled so far, considering the accolades we were throwing them, and justifiably so. But it is a bullpen, and things change quickly in bullpens as they always do. They are a fickle, one of the most fickle things that exist in sports. But the good of the, the good of the bullpen right now, and it will be interesting to see moving forward again how Tony Larusa, if if he changes the way he uses somebody like Michael Kopech or Garrett Crochet, they've both been excellent. And as I was talking to McGuffey earlier, we're both like, God, I know you can't do it yet. But I really want to see, like, I'm anxious to see what Michael Kopech looks like as a starter. Give him five innings to start a ball game. Garrett Crochet, same same deal. Like, and but but maybe maybe I should just shut up because maybe those are two guys that actually Tony Larusa has used perfectly so far this year. Sometimes we want more. When guys thrive in certain positions, sometimes we're like, oh, you got to do more. It was kind of like. Albert Almora with the Cubs and and everybody was like oh man Almora's got to start every day he's got to why are you what is Joe Madden doing why, why are you platooning this guy he's got to play every day Almora 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 well maybe Joe Madden knew that if you used him any more than you did that he would get exposed and that's ultimately what happened sometimes guys are put in the exact right positions to succeed and that that's definitely what's happened so far with Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet. I still think there will be more coming as time goes on, but right now, thumbs up to Tony LaRusso on the way he's used those guys. The other big bugaboo for the White Sox early this year has been the defense, and those problems crept up again today. A couple more errors. Adam Eaton had an error out of right field. I think Grandal was charged with an error for his catcher's interference, so there was that today. There was the near miscommunication with Luis Robert and Adam Eaton. That was on Robert. Everything was cool. Nothing happened, but something could have happened um, in that spot. So let's get into that with, with Tony La Russa. And he was asked about the the defense. Let's take a listen. I believe the question is in this as well. Ray McGuffey. Tony, I know it's only been a week, but when does a trend, in this case, the defense, when does a, when does a trend and, and when you see something going one way, when does it concern you? And when, does, when is it something you think over the course of 162 kind of corrects itself and plays itself out? Um, well, is there any play in particular that, that you thought today was the trend? Well, it's just been over the course of the last few games. I mean, today, the, the throw from Adam gets away from Danny. Keiko's not backing him up. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that was really the only play today. Uh, but, um, yeah, I said it. You know, that's the beauty. You play for six months, the uh, talent will show itself. And we have, we have a good defensive team. And I think had a couple of rough plays in the first series that were not as routine as they looked and caused us concern, but we have a good defense. Hmm. Well, I don't know about that yet, Tony LaRusso. And I, I get it. He, he's right in saying that, you know, talent ultimately does talent rises to the top kids. That's the way it works. And we know that, 
Luis Robert is excellent. I think Eaton will get himself together. One of the key guys. I don't think Nick Madrigal made an error today. Um, but, you know, he, he's a guy who has struggled over at second base. And let me go back to Cody Decker. Cody Decker was on with Bernstein and Rahimi today. We heard him talking about the Cubs. I heard them asking about Nick Madrigal and the struggles that he's had at second base. Take a listen. It's not just Nick Madrigal. It's the combination to me, but Madrigal will get singled out in this. He's a young infielder. He's still trying to learn, I think, the flow of the game. But it, it's going to start to cost them wins. How, how do you evaluate what what the problem is for not just him, but defensively what the Sox are dealing with? Well, specifically with him, like you mentioned, he's young. The leash has to be short, whether we like it or not. You can't have a leash out there that's too long if a guy's making errors left and right in the infield. This is a team that's meant to compete now, not compete next year. It's not about getting that guy out there, giving him shots at the big league level. He knows he can play in the big league level, but unfortunately, he's not carrying enough weight so far. So they might have to make some adjustments down the road. Now, I think the White Sox are going to be more than fine. I really do. The defensive miscues last night, I thought that was a uh, bad scoring decision. I thought uh, for the third run, I thought that was not a wild pitch. I thought that was a pass ball by Grandall. It was a changeup low in the zone, did not go in the dirt. I don't know why Grandall, I don't understand this current uh, trend of catchers, not just Grandall. I don't mean to single out Grandall for this, but anyone that has a runner on base and a catcher has a knee down on the ground is just flat out madness to me. You're in a, la- you're in a lacking athletic position and you're going to, give up way more pass balls as you saw last night on a changeup that was called with a runner on third that was a strike three pitch end up being a drop third strike ending gets extended runner scores and unfortunately it was set made a wild pitch so that run is actually credited to Lucas Giolito Lucas Giolito was throwing borderline Cy Young award winning uh numbers last night he looks fantastic but that defense has got to pick it up that's that's interesting what what he said about Giolito. Like watching Giolito at the beginning of that game, honestly, like I thought he was he had the no hit stuff going. Like I was thinking, hmm, this could be interesting, and then it all kind of caved. But anyway, that was Cody Decker with Bernstein and uh, Rahimi today on the score. You heard Layla asking the question. It's interesting that what he said about the 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 concept of a short leash for Nick Madrigal over there, and if if this was last year or had he been up two years ago or whatever then you say yeah you could you could play through it and let let the kid play and let him play through his struggles but the expectations are too high for the White Sox there there aren't many opportunities that you know exist on a year-to-year basis for any team where you can honestly say that you are World Series worthy the White Sox are so I agree with what Cody Decker is saying that if this keeps up for Madrigal and he's not compensating in other ways, then you got to get them out of there and you got to figure something out. And I don't know exactly what that is. I don't know. You, Lurie Garcia, possibly. I know that, you know, he was considered as a possibility over at second base anyway. So, but just something to shake it up and maybe he's not the automatic everyday starter over at second base. So I, I think that that's a good point by him right there. Um, couple other things today too, that I want to get to on the White Sox. One of them was a base running blunder as well. I mean, like, I hate to pile on all these things because, you know, defensively there's been problems just about every day. Eighth inning of this game, Sox load the bases, nobody out. Zach Collins pops out, and then Luis Robert 
hits a hard line drive to short, and Jose Abreu, of all people, gets doubled off of second base, and it's it's an 8-4 game at the time. And, yeah, it's just one of those things, man. Like, you cannot – it's the mental errors. You know, I I sound like a coach now because, as always, baseball coaches, they can always handle the physical errors for the most part. It's the mental stuff like that that they can't handle and can't deal with. So you can't have that from Jose Abreu. And then Carlos Rodon, he was he was really good in that in his start against Seattle. Nine strikeouts with 19 swing and misses. He was hitting 97-98 on the radar. That's great. For a guy that's been injured as much as he has been, to still see the velocity is incredibly important because you don't want him to be one of those guys who at his age, in his 20s still, starts to lose that velocity and then he's just off to like minor league deal after minor league deal with, with major league teams for the rest of his career. One of those guys. And it just becomes even more sad. He, he went five innings in that game. He had that that inning where he had a man on third with nobody out, got a couple of strikeouts and a fly out. Like that's the kind of stuff that I watch, like watching guys get out of their jams. Like today, Kyle Hendricks did that when he allowed a leadoff double pitched around that he had first and third with one out pitched around that. That's the stuff for, for starters. If they can get out of those kinds of jams and Carlos Rodon did it, but here, here is my, my long winded way of building up to what I have to say about Carlos Rodon He's got a long way to go. <laughs> He's got a I, – I hope he keeps it up and he adds another inning in his next start and he doesn't run into any trouble like he did a little bit in his start against Seattle, but he has to prove himself. He's got to keep doing that. He was good in the spring, good enough in his first start. He's got a long way to go before I could trust him as the White Sox fifth starter throughout this season. All right, got to take a break. Good time for you to get in. I am here until 10 o'clock, but if you would like to talk, 312-644-6767. I want to talk about either the White Sox or the Cubs. One of the Cubs questions I threw out there earlier was, what would you do to stimulate the Cubs' offense? I put that on Twitter. Maybe I'll read some of your responses. There was like uh, 50 responses in like two minutes. So I, I have a feeling that there may be a sarcastic answer or two or perhaps very cynical-sounding responses to that question, but we can we can get into that. 312-644-6767 is the number. Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Right-hander fires. Swinging a high fly ball. Deep right field. It's got a chance. Gone. Jock Peterson with a home run and the ball game is tied one to one. Their guy was really good early on. We tried to jump on the fastball. Didn't have a lot of success. Uh, he's a really good pitcher, but then we continue to 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 fight. You know, um, you know the homer from Jock off Williams, really good reliever. Um, you know, getting some runners on against the back end of their bullpen, and there at the end. I mean, you know, I, I after going through like a, a long stretch with 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 you know one or two hits or whatever it was, it's it was still nice to see these guys continue to have the same at bats, not get too frustrated, continue to grind at bats. Like that's a that's a positive in my book. Cubs manager David Ross talking about the Cubs' 4-2 loss in 10 innings to the Milwaukee Brewers today. Before you heard Pat Hughes right here on the score calling that Jock Peterson home run 
that was that looked like it might have been the moment you know it was jock peterson's first hit came late in the game eighth inning tied the game one one it was like one it felt like one of those galvanizing moments i mean even like the reaction from jock peterson just kind of clinch his fists and he knew it was gone. He knew he needed it for, for himself personally because he had not had a hit yet in a Cubs uniform. And just the way that game had been going and how lousy the Cubs offense has been and the Cubs dugout was was pumped up. But ultimately, it didn't take. Cubs scored another run in the in the 10th inning on a Jason Hayward single. But that was it. And, you know, Lorenzo Cain, the big three-run homer against Brandon Workman in the 10th. Cain was a one-man wrecking crew today. Had a solo homer as well and against that high-leverage reliever, Alec Mills. So it it what looked like a great moment ultimately didn't take. Hopefully it will be good for the brain and the mentality of Jock Peterson going forward to, to get off the snide and, and get things going in that regard. But the Cubs right now are hitting 119 as a team. And I put it out on Twitter earlier. What would you do to stimulate the Cubs' offense? This has been going on for too long. And I finally have opened it up. And I'll just start to read a few responses for you. From uh, Wayneski. Wayneski on Twitter. New players that can hit? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, from the Gridiron Assassin. Let them play against Foster and the Sox defense. Yeah, that that might help. Um, from Arthur Karen. Uh, Bat Rizzo leadoff, and then he wrote a bunch of other stuff. Um, no, he said, actually, now I want to read it. It says, Bat Rizzo leadoff, it's a tired trope, but he seems to excel at that role. The only reason I wanted to read on is I love the word trope. You had me at trope. Um, from JHO, the entire game of baseball needs to change. Everyone is so exit velocity, launch angle happy. Give me bleeping Mark Gredzelonic. Raphael for Cal type guy who can handle the bat and put the ball where the defense ain't. Um, that's interesting because one of the other responses on here I see is bring up the second baseman that got sent down. And that would be Nico Horner. And Horner is a guy who is a contact person. And this is what we've been hearing from you know, from Jed Hoyer and maybe even before that from Theo Epstein that, yeah, things do have to change to a more contact-based lineup. It doesn't have to be a bunch of slappy guys. It doesn't have to be a bunch of Nick Madrigals necessarily, but you do have to have guys that make more contact. And that's part of why, you know, Kyle Schwarber had to go because it just wasn't there in terms of the the, the contact rate. So there are some real things that the Cubs could start to consider doing, but I don't know. I think that David Ross does need to maybe have one of those days where he just puts together a ridiculous lineup where he sits some of the, like sits Bryant and Rizzo on the same day. I know that sounds crazy, but maybe you have to do something like that where you just have guys that put together a ridiculous lineup and everybody in that lineup will know that it's being done because the Cubs aren't hitting and they'll be, ultra focus on it. Sometimes that works for a day or two just to get things shaken up. And then you go back to something a little bit more regular. Cody Decker, who we've heard from a couple of times, he was great today on, on Bernstein and Rahimi. And let's listen to what he had to say about 
some of these Cubs hitting woes and what can be done with certain players. I'm of the ilk of being an aggressive hitter, especially with a ball club that has the firepower that the Chicago Cubs had. You got Jock Peterson. I love Jock Peterson. He's got a lot of pop, and at no point do I want him taking pitches. I want him being aggressive in the batter's box. I want him hitting doubles early in the count, and I want him scoring early in innings. Uh, Bryant. I don't want Bryant taking pitches. I want him being aggressive. He wants to have competitive at-bats, obviously, but I want him putting the ball in play with force. The majority of the pitches you're seeing in Major League Baseball are fastballs. 73% of the pitches you see are fastballs, especially early on in the count unless you're facing a soft lefty who's throwing you soft stuff. And that you don't face that many guys that do that, and you don't face a whole lot of pitchers that pitch backwards. So you're going to see a fastball. I want that team to be aggressive. Javi Baez. He's about as aggressive as a hitter as it gets. Um, obviously, you have to have a counterbalance to that. You have to have other people that will work the count. You don't want starters going super deep into games. But it's all about knowing what kind of hitter you are, and trying to make everybody fit in the same box is just a mistake. It, it used to work really well in the early 2000s for the A's, but the problem is that mentality only will get you to a certain point. It's good for long-term going maybe to get to the playoffs, but in a short-term span to trying to win a playoff sitting you have no chance in hell of getting out of a divisional series yeah and i i think he makes a good point about like you have him he's doing a little bit of the you gotta you be you dude go do you and you're not gonna get javier baez too and and bruce brought it up too with baez that he's been disappointed with some of his recent at bats and it's just it's it's not something that's ever going to be completely solved with Javier Baez because sometimes he gets locked in to where he is thinking about center and right, and he has great success. But then, as I've been saying since the days I was doing pre and post, I call it the full Javi, where he takes that crazy, vicious, trying to hit it in the lake type of swing, and you you can't coach that out of him you could temper it a little bit and give him some suggestions and say hey you're struggling why don't you do this but it always comes back to that for Javier Baez and he he's a guy I think that like he, like he's a Jim Hendry guy right he was drafted by Hendry and when he was then adopted by Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and Joe Madden I think that they they're I think there was even talk that that maybe he was a guy that wasn't going to fit in with the Cubs and what they were trying to do because of that aggressive nature. You know, Theo and Jed wanted four-hour games like the Boston days and getting guys on base and all that kind of stuff and patience, patience, patience. Baez was not like the prototype guy. and But then they're like, you know, he's so talented. He's so good. We're going to allow him to be the outlier on this team. And it's just like you're just always going to have to deal with that with with Javier Baez. There's going to be El Mago moments and there. I promise you there will be. He'll probably have a few walk off home runs. He'll do things on the base paths that are going to be great. Um, he, you know what he's going to do with the glove. But then there's just going to be times where you're like, oh, my God, what are you swinging at? Why are you falling to the ground on that swing? It's just it's just the way it is for for Javier Baez. And I do think, it sounds strange, I do think that Baez has to prove himself a little bit this year still. That based on what happened last year, that if he wants to max out on his money and all that kind of stuff and compete with the shortstop market in the offseason, I don't know that every GM would go on the past record and the fact that he was once the runner-up 
for MVP because since then he hasn't been quite as special. And obviously last year was just straight up bad year for Javier Baez. So he, he definitely has got to get things going this year to to reprove himself or just to not really to proving is probably a bad word because he's proved himself as a big league player and a very good big league player. But just to show that you still got the 162 good in you that that you're that you can do great things on a consistent level throughout the season. So I do think that some of that still exists for for him. One other piece of audio that I wanted to play. I, I listened to the game early today, the first couple of innings on radio with with Pat Hughes and and Ron Coomer. And one of the things that we all wrestle with in sports radio and and anybody that covers it in, in whatever regard is it's a 162 game season. It's early. What can we take seriously? What should we not take seriously? I mean, it's all like and to me that's always a conversation stopper. Like. Like well, it's early. Well, that's not that's that's not the answer. The let's let's talk about what's happened. Let's talk about trends within a game. I, I just I don't like it when it gets to that, you know. Well, it's a long season. Um. So you know, what are we doing? Why are we even covering or talking about this? Well, Pat and Ron were discussing. Actually, they were speaking my language. They were talking about how important the early games are and the first twenty games of a major league baseball season are. Take a listen to this on the score today. Fast start, so very, very important, Ron. Just uh, the way you start thinking about yourself and your team. Swinging a foul back, nothing in two. Those first 20 games, I've always thought you could almost make a case that they're, they're about the most important 20 games of the whole year. They kind of set the whole foundation for what's to follow. Well, is there any better example of that than 2016? Swing and a miss. Strike three. Woodruff is out on strikes. But it really is true. The, yeah. the first 10, 12, 15, 20 games, man, if you can get out to, well, like a 15 and 5 or a 13 and 7, all of a sudden you start thinking, we're going to win every series. You know yeah. that you won't, right. but you think you will. Well, in 2016, the Cubs win the World Series. They start out on the West Coast, and they lost one game in the whole West Coast trip. Came home and were rolling and never relinquished first place and wire to wire won the World Series. After 31 games in that World Series championship mm-hmm. year for the Cubs, I want to say they were 25 and 6. Yeah. So to get 19 above immediately, you feel great about yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can even know that you can put up with a, a cold stretch where you're going to lose 8 out of 10, as every big league team mm-hmm. will. Over the long haul. Beginning of the season does matter. Yeah, it's 162 games. Things can change. If you have a poor start, it doesn't mean that you won't turn out on top, but it's a hell of a lot easier if you start off the season well. And yeah, no better example, obviously, than 2016. And hell, the first game they had in Anaheim where they just blew out the Angels and won that mini series and then never looked back, got a little sweaty towards the, the all-star break in Pittsburgh, and then Pittsburgh decided to trade Melanson, and they, they were like, well, we give up. We're, we're cool. We're good. Cubs, it's all you. It's all you. This is your year. We'll be back some other day. And that's where the Cubs will be tomorrow, as a matter of fact, at Pittsburgh, 1235 game. And you will hear those voices, Pat Hughes, Ron Coomer, Zach Zaidman as well. And hopefully the Cubs will get that offense back on track.
after another bad offensive day today in a 4-2-10 inning loss. When we return, we'll wrap it up. I feel like I'm doing this show with Cody Decker today. He he hates the Milwaukee Brewers. He'll explain why. There's another franchise he hates as well. I was entertained by this. You will be too. It's next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Cubs? Brewers got hot. They're the best team in baseball right now. Do you know who that is? That's right. Former Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio. Big baseball guy. Love going to Cubs games. I think he was buds with with Joe Madden. And, uh, yeah, he always had a baseball thought or two for us doing our during our live in-person press conferences back in the day. Oh, the old days of Vic Fangio. But, hey, you know what? Sean Desai came up under Vic Fangio. He likes his style, so maybe we see more of that Vic Fangio disguised defenses this year from Sean Desai. But, anyway, that's not actually why I wasn't wanting to talk about the Bears' defense, which... Next time I'm on, I'm sure I will. But Cody Decker today was former big league player on with Bernstein and Rahimi today. I was listening to great stuff, like great insight on both the Cubs and the Sox. But you heard Vic Fangio talking about his team, the Milwaukee Brewers. Cody Decker, woof, he hates the Brewers. Take a listen. Hey, Cody, before we let you go, why do you not like the Brewers? Um... Trash organization. That's it. Go on. I played for them. They were, they were, they sucked. I hate, I hated every second. The only team, I, how about this? I take that back. They're, I, they're not my least favorite team I ever played for. I would go back and play for the Brewers for free before I ever put on the Rockies purple ever again. I'll tell you that right now. That being said, the Brewers, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't stand it. It was like it was like uh, you go to spring training. If you get a PB and J during spring training, that that was like a, a filet mignon from City Hall. Well, the Rockies stuff. You're you're not alone when it comes to the Rockies experience. I despise the Rockies. I'm on the record with the Rockies. They suck. They suck. They suck. If you're a Rockies fan, get off the Titanic. At this point, you're just that band that's playing in the corner as the <laughs> ship's going down. Root for another team. <laughs> wow, this is one of those cases. Or you could just say, clearly, it's personal with Cody Decker. Like, did not like the way he was treated, and it sounds somewhat peripheral. You know, Cody Decker, of- he's so he's he's so great because of his in-game experience and his exuberance, you know, professionally. He told a really yeah. good story about Carlos Rodon, or not Carlos, I'm sorry, Carlos Quinton. Carlos Quinton of the White Sox. Oh, wow. He, yeah, and it was really entertaining because you think on the surface Carlos Quinton, a guy who broke his wrist punching a wall, you know, isn't a very talkative person, but man, he can elaborate on the way that he opened up Carlos Quinton as a human being. Cody Decker is a special human. Yeah, he is, man. And ooh, yeah, Carlos Quinn, one of those those one-hit wonders, and uh, the dude who looked like he might be a centerpiece for the White Sox for many years, but then yeah, things went downhill. So Cody, De- I, hey, I've never heard things like that about Milwaukee or Colorado, but maybe other people have. It's been a fun show tonight. Thank you to Adam Amin. The TV voice of the Bulls for coming on. Great conversation with him. Ryan McGuffey of NBC Sports Chicago. 
If you are a White Sox fan, you should go back and listen to that because I think that you'd be able to work through some of your frustrations from today and some of the things that have gone on in this season. That was at 8 o'clock tonight, so go check that out. Bruce Levant. Oh, Bruce was... Bruce, the first five minutes with Bruce at 8.40, oh, God, it is hilarious. Bruce was on with us at 8.40. Thanks to Bruce Levine. And thank you to Mike Rankin, our executive producer, for putting those guests together and getting all the audio for us as well. Great job to Mike. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I will talk to you. Hey, I'll talk to you when I talk to you. It's Mark Grody. I'll talk to you later on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Bye. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 